Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm very happy to be in the studio uh, today with a local lady. Uh, She is Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie, and she is a clinical assistant professor of medicine at Jefferson and a GI doctor. Thank you so much for being here, Marianne. Thank you, Sue. It's a pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, but of course, the first thing I always want to know about is you and your background and a little bit about your growing up years here in Philadelphia. What what part of the, the city were you from? Well, um, our family started out in southwest Philadelphia, and I'm a baby boomer, so I started first grade in 1960, and I went to San Francis de Sales for grade school which at the time had 2,500 children in the school. Wow, that's big. My husband from Washington, D.C. did not believe me. He always calls me Lucy because he thinks I'll talk to anybody, which I will. I don't mean that you're not somebody special, <laughs> so you are. Um, but, um, but I grew up at a time when we lived on a street, um, uh, Chester Avenue in Philadelphia. My dad had a funeral home, okay. and everybody knew Richie Funeral Home. I guess that's a good thing to be known for. And on the street next to ours, the Ganleys had 13 children, the Gallagher's had 12, the Taggart's had 10, and so on. So I was in a pretty small family of four, but I'm the youngest of four sisters, and um, it was a lot of fun to be able to walk outside and have instant playmates. Right, right. And lots of them. Poor dad, though. Four four girls. Four weddings. Four weddings. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Um, And uh, how about your mom? Did she work outside the house? No, my mother, well, she worked nonstop as a homemaker and a Mm -hmm. mother and a wife. And she did help with my dad's business a little bit. But um, my mother was from another time, and um, she never learned to drive. Wow. So it's an interesting comparison. And all of my sisters have professions. Um, My oldest sisters are identical twins. And one's a nurse, one's a teacher, and my third sister's a teacher. And as each of them finished school and had time to enjoy their chosen fields, when they got married and had children, they stayed home. And when it was my turn and I became a physician, um, my mother, who always stayed home, who never drove, was always in the house, um, said, I said, Mom, you know, what happens when I have a baby? I can't. I don't want to just have a nanny or that kind of thing. She says, oh, just try it. My mother, who was quite the homebody, said, you'll be our experiment. Oh. <laughs> and she said, just try it. If you don't like it, you can always quit. I said, there, there's a plan. Quit. There's a good plan. You can always quit. I said, okay. I wonder, right. what nationality is your mom? Irish. She is Irish. Oh, yeah? Because the, the women I knew that never learned to drive, and I have a couple friends whose mothers did not, they were all Italian. And I thought it was oh. something in the Italian culture. No. They like to be driven around. The other I word. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and tell me about your um, your school years, young. You went to, you said, Holy Child? Uh, well, I started in a very large um, city school. And at the time, the, the parish next to ours, Most Blessed Sacrament, had 4,400 students. So it wasn't unusual to be in a big city school. After sixth grade, I moved to Drexel Hill. And I, I was looking for Timmy and Lassie because... 
I was in a class of only 50. I was number 51. And there were three sections, 50 in each, but it was very different. Um, and so uh, I went to um, a Holy Child school for high school. Mm-hmm. Rosemont College at the time had three um, prep schools, one on campus, St. Leonard's at 38th and Chestnut. And then I went to the Holy Child School in Sharon Hill. I had about 100 students in the class. So it was it was a wonderful time and, you know, close to home. Yeah. Catholic, Irish upbringing. Oh, yes. I know it well. Yes. Um, um, of course, I'm interested to know when mm-hmm. you decided that you wanted to be a doctor. Was that something that you always thought about as a young girl or did that come later in life? You know, I, I used to think it was kind of fun if I if I fell and I broke my arm and I go to the ER, kind of disappointed I wouldn't get a cast. Be careful what you wish for. Um, <laughs> but I'd be there and I'd look around and think it was pretty cool. But I never really had a set plan. I went through high school. I was a strong student and my favorite um, course was biology. Okay, so... It was time to pick a college. And again, I finished high school in 1972. Don't do the math out there. (laughs) And um, I um, wasn't sure where I wanted to go to college, but I wanted to go to a co-ed college because my high school was private girls and it was wonderful. And I'm a big proponent of, um, if possible, single sex high school. Not every, you know, um, student has that opportunity depending where they live, but Mm -hmm. If your hair's a little dirty or you're breaking out, there are no boys sitting next to you that, that notice. Right. But um, I decided I really wanted to go to co-ed school, and I won a scholarship to St. Joe's College mm-hmm. back in the day. It wasn't a university. And it was six boys to one girl. Um, but I selected my favorite subject, and I said, oh, I'll be a bio major. So the first day of Biology 101, uh, the department chairman came in and introduced himself, Dr. Marks, brilliant professor, and he came in slowly and he picked up his cane and he said, I know you all want to be doctors. I said, that's a good idea. And he said, look to the person on your left and the person on your right. In six months, they'll be gone. Wow. I've heard that story before. Mm -hmm. And 150 of us started out and 45 graduated as bio nerds, bio majors. Yeah. Now, did that statement push you, um, were you more determined after hearing that? Yes. I'm one of those people who um, was born with a little too much adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And um, in high school, I was in every activity. I was president of my class. St. Joe's, same thing. I get involved. I love to be part of something bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. And um, I really crave that contact with people, I think. Yeah, as well, I sit and analyze myself, but um, I had the time of my life at St. Joe's because the other fun fact about St. Joe's at the time was it was 79% commuters. So we, most of us lived at home. It was only students who came from farther sites that really stayed on campus. Mm-hmm. But as a bio major, we had lab three days a week from one to five o'clock. So everybody else was playing pinochle at the end of their nine to one course day. And we're in the lab three extra days a week till five o'clock. So it was it was uh, difficult, but we were so motivated by this. Okay, the next step is apply to medical school. So it was it was kind of a generic goal. I didn't picture myself as a pediatrician or as Marcus Welby's sister or anything specific. It was just 
Medical school. Medical school. So you didn't really know at that time what area of right. medicine you were going to go into. Right. Now, bio majors, that's, that is difficult. You know, um, academically, that's, that's a tough, tough major. It's intense. Were you able to um, be involved in any other activities um, other than your academics? I was chuckling because um, it's fun to be in front of the microphone because one of the things I did at St. Joe's was become a boss DJ. And um, Tuesday and Thursday mornings from 8 to 10 a.m., you capture the cafeteria crowd, of course, um, and our, our radius. I think, Sue, you can correct me. I think 6.40 a.m. is um, the college I'm not sure. radio station uh, You mean for the area? Frequency. Thank yeah. you for that big boy word. Yeah. And um, so we didn't reach many people. So before I started my show, I would go all the right places and turn the radio station on in the cafeteria and all through the building. Make sure that everyone's going to hear you. Yeah, out there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I could be arrested by the powers that be, but I used to kind of make up contests. And I'd shake a <laughs> jelly bean jar and say, if you can guess how many jelly beans are in this jar, you will win a trip to Hawaii. <laughs> of course, there wasn't a trip to Hawaii, but... <laughs> Who was funding that? The school wanted to know. Well, people listened. <laughs> People listen and they sent their guesses in and uh, I'd make up dedications and that kind of thing. Yeah. But I think I'm past the seven year thing. I can't be arrested for that, can I? <laughs> I don't think so. I think that's fantastic. I mean, you you know, you're a doctor, but you also have this, um, as you said, this energy. Um, I read that you've been referred to as a connector extraordinaire. And um, that's really wonderful. I mean, that's always a positive thing to be a person who not only wants to connect with people, but wants to connect others as well. Where do you think that came from in you? Or was that just something when you were young, you know, um, young girl, were you always kind of wanting to meet everybody and see everything? Kind of. Uh, but my parents were very, um, my mother was uh, just pure sugar, the sweetest woman on the planet, my best friend. My dad was a funeral director and very professional, so soothing to people, but the funniest crazy boy. And you would never put that together he was always very professional. We have stacks of letters uh, from families whom he had helped at their time of need, uh, saying how wonderful and comforting he was and just um, so thoughtful. But he was, he never put the lampshade on his head at the Christmas party, but um, he always had a joke. I think he memorized every um, Bob Hope and Henny Youngman and Sunday nights were sacred in our house. When Ed Sullivan would come on, that time something the comedian, Jackie Mason, Rodney Dangerfield, Silencio. Everybody had to be absolutely quiet. <laughs> and so he had this treasury of jokes that he would just spill out and and uh, little pranks and all that even the grandchildren at his funeral, all of the grandsons wore one of his ties. Oh. And he had all these funny ties and it just uh he was that my parents my mom was a little shy, but my dad was very gregarious. And yeah. I think I saw the joy that he got from that. Yeah. So it sounds like you have a little bit of both of them in you. I think so. Yeah. I hope so. Um, so in um, you went into medical school. Mm -hmm. And um, when was it that you actually determined which area of medicine you were going to study? And had, you know, was there, was there somebody that guided you, a mentor perhaps, that was helping you kind of figure that out? Eventually I did have a mentor, Sue. I think um, I try to tell my medical students to be open Start medical school with a clean slate, uh, 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 an empty palate, and as you go, ex be exposed to different fields of interest. And when you rotate through, 
surgery, pretend you're a surgeon and think about the lifestyle. Think about the hours. And um, when you're in internal medicine, think, gee, if I had all adult patients, would I miss taking care of children? Or if I go into OBGYN, would I um, like having all women patients or would I miss having men patients? So for myself, I was a bio major. I applied. I was very fortunate. If you could survive being a bio major at St. Joe's, um, we were accepted to multiple medical schools. And I chose to stay at Jefferson because I really liked the feel of the humanity there. Um, it wasn't all about memorizing information and quoting tomorrow's literature. It was about taking care of people. Mm-hmm. And the feel there is pretty unmatchable. I've been on staff at several places. I've trained uh, in Philadelphia and New York, and I circled back to Jeff because I love the field there. Yeah. So what was your first job out of uh, medical school? I uh, completed my residency at Lankanal Hospital, and um, then I was fortunate to get a fellowship at Sloan Kettering, the cancer center in New York City, where I studied GI. And that all evolved because my first day as a student on internal medicine we were sent to different hospitals because the whole 240 student class can't go to the same place. So we go to different places and all. And I was at Lankanal as a junior. Initially I was going to be a hand surgeon. I was absolutely convinced after a lecture that, um, I was going to sew people's fingers back on when they would have injuries. I won't get into that. And in (laughs) fact, my freshman summer, I worked in the, um, hand surgery lab and I, I fed the chimps and the doctor who really had me mesmerized designed the first artificial tendon. So there was so much creativity around me mm. and I was trying to drink it all up and put it in the colander and see what stayed. And I was I would cut class to go watch hand surgery and I was his little assistant and Dr. Jim Hunter was a huge influence. Then I thought, okay, I'm gonna open my mind and think, gee, would I like being a pediatrician? It would be hard to handle the nervous mom's phone calls, but I think I could comfort them. and. Then I'd do GYN and I'd say, oh my gosh, I'd love delivering babies. But when I got to internal medicine, first day, I was handed a, the chart of a patient with a very complex case of Crohn's disease, mm. which is a very um, difficult um, inflammatory bowel disease. And along came a senior uh, attending in a starched white coat and sat down and thanked me for taking care of his patient and gave me this mini symposium on the topic. And as he walked away, I said, that's a scholar and a gentleman. That was Dr. Franz Goldstein. I was so taken by him. And the next year, as a senior, your last year in medical school, you have the option to take electives. So I went back and spent a month there with Dr. Goldstein. He was from Germany. And just a um, fine human being. Forget his title. Forget just... uh, I, I, in fact, I wrote an um, article about him recently. I'll go into that in a second. But um, he really changed my life and spoke to each person like they were his family member. And I'm not exaggerating this for a, a radio show. He had looked death in the face several times uh, when he lived in war-torn Germany. And when he left there, he dedicated his life to making the world a better place. So he was probably the biggest influence on me. 
That's so interesting because you looked at him and you said, I want to be like him. I want to be just it like was, him. I want to be just like I him. I could never not, come not, close. Not be but. the same type of doctor, but it was something about him that yes, you wanted to. The person. To, the person. Yeah. yeah, that's wonderful. Now, is that around the time you met your husband? Well, um, <laughs> when I was at St. Joe's, I got into so many activities. I helped run orientation for incoming freshmen every year. I was the boss DJ, and I was um, actually ended up being elected class or school president, but as a bio nerd, I couldn't do that. So I said, could I please be vice president? So I was in, I was in, or president of vice, however you like to look at it. Lots of good parties at St. Joe's. But then I got to Jefferson and something on my CV must have clicked in and they asked me to orient the incoming freshman when I was a sophomore student. And I went in with my little index cards because um, I think it's important to have some notes you don't want to sound like you're reading, but you don't want to babble. So <laughs> I stood in front of these 240 new freshmen, feeling very sophomoric. And that first day, I just wanted to comfort them and say, here's the cafeteria. Your, your studies will include this and that and anatomy lab. And as they were taking notes from the front row to the back row, and as I said earlier, they were biting their toenails. They were so nervous. I tossed my index cards and I said, listen. You have nothing to worry about. You're here at Jefferson because we love you. And I had a lot of interesting looks, and they actually teased me for a few weeks. And the person who teased me the most was Stuart Gordon, who eventually became my husband. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they really were so nervous that my mind went into 10th gear. And I said, I have a great idea. Anybody here who wants a big brother, big sister, you put your name on this list. So I started the big brother, big sister program. And of course, I assigned that tall, dark, and handsome, nervous freshman to myself. <laughs> so that's how we became acquainted. As he says, I guided him through freshman year, and then I guided him up to the altar. So you led him out. right. Yes, you're indeed. a leader, and you led him right where I he needed to go. I left that trail of breadcrumbs, and he ate them. <laughs> He eats when he's happy, he eats when he's sad, he eats when he's nervous. He ate those breadcrumbs. <laughs> That's terrific. Um, and real, we're, we're going to take a break in a few minutes, but just talk briefly about your children. You have three children, wonderful three children. children that came from that meeting with your husband. Yes, Andrew, Victoria, and Philip. Andrew's uh, 28 years old now and um, lives in New York and is a Wall Street, not a wolf. He's a Wall Street good boy. Mm -hmm. And Vicky is 25, also in New York, just finished a... Um, master's in nutrition and Philip is um, 23 and he'll be starting Jefferson Medical College on his birthday August 1st. Oh wow that's terrific so one to follow you in your footsteps. Yes. Um, we're going to take a quick break and we will be back with Dr. Marianne Ritchie clinical assistant professor of medicine at Jefferson. We'll be right back. It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the mutual fund store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face to face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. 
The client comes first at the Mutual Fund Store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes. Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the City of Light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2800. 
484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch here at WWDB Talk 860. Um, my name is Sue Rocco, and I'm in the studio today with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. And Dr. Uh, Ritchie is a clinical assistant professor of medicine at Jefferson and a GI doctor. And we were spending the first part of the show learning about Marianne and her life growing up in Philadelphia. Um, during the break, we were speaking briefly about the fact that um, uh, Marianne has always worked part-time and um i'd like to know a little bit about why you chose that and and why that was important to you thanks sue i um mentioned earlier that when i started medical school in 1976 bicentennial year for philadelphia um my class had only 17 percent girls largest medical school class in the country um and i was treated beautifully i have to say inspiration was meant for the um young men and women students, and I was treated royally at Jefferson. And, but we really did not have too many women mentors out there. Um, but, uh, so, sorry, medical school, the world is my oyster, whatever the expression is, the sky's the limit. And I pursued internal medicine, and I was so influenced by this Dr. Goldstein that I applied to become a gastroenterologist. And... I had considered surgery, and my dean or my advisor in medical school said, go and talk to a woman in surgery. They were rare, but I found a wonderful uh, plastic surgeon at Lankanol. And basically, she shared with me that after going through five years of surgery uh, residency, which is very long hours, and then training to be a plastic surgeon, she put her personal life on hold and got married later in life at age 39, and when she pushed the button and no baby came out, it broke her heart. Mm-hmm. And she shared with me, and I and I give her a lot of credit for being so open, that that was her big regret in life. Mm-hmm. And I was so grateful that she told me that. And it was before I started my rotation. So when I fell in love with internal medicine, I then went into gastroenterology. I actually, my husband was um, in training as well. We were in New York City, as I mentioned, at Sloan Kettering for me, Cornell and Sloan Kettering. My husband was at Columbia in orthopedics. And um, so we were fortunate enough to have our first baby at the time. And I looked at him and I said, I love my job, but I can't believe I'm a mother. I mean, that was really always my big goal in life, to be a mother. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes you don't understand a situation or an event until you're in those shoes. And the day I had Andrew Gordon, I looked at him and said, how can I go back to work? I was so fortunate, again, because... I was invited to be on staff back at Lankanol where I had performed, where I had completed my residency with my all-time favorite gastroenterologist, including Dr. Goldstein. And um, so my mother, who never drove and never worked outside the home, said, go ahead, try it. I'll help you. And um, I went back to work full-time. And I would get up, take care of the baby. And I had a a live-in nanny. And she would stand at the window with the little baby's hand waving goodbye to me, and it would 
break my heart. <laughs> yeah. And I would leave at 6.45 and maybe get home at 8.30 or 9 because I worked full time. And you have to understand, I'm a GI Josephine. I trained in GI and started my practice one year after President Reagan was diagnosed with colon cancer. And he heightened the awareness of being examined and going through the surgery, waving out Walter Reed window two days post-op at age 74. Pretty awesome. And that role model made people want colonoscopy. If he can do it at age 74, I can do it. And all the women wanted a woman GI doctor. Yeah. So I could have worked 25 hours a day and not met the demands. It yeah. was it was wonderful. It was insane. I had always been a, a really active person, but I think I was sleeping about four or five hours a night. And mm-hmm. I set that trend and I did it for many years. So after a few years of working full time and being blessed with yet another baby, I realized even if I never had a second child or a third child, it wasn't fair to Andrew to be out of the house 14 hours a day and then on call every third weekend from 5 p.m. Friday to 8 a.m. Monday, calls, emergency, really sick people in the emergency room. It, it, it could only take one person to be there for five or six hours if they're leading or need surgery, and I have to be there to coordinate it all. And I, I realized it wasn't fair to any of my children. Um, everybody has their own mantra and their own philosophy. Mm-hmm. For me, I had come from a family where when I wasn't training in New York, I called my parents every night at five of one because they had finished watching the news and the Tonight Show. I knew they were ready for bed, and I was still up reading or That's whatever. Late. Yeah, <laughs> your parents. And the first night I lived in New York, I called home, and my father answered the phone. He said, "Hi, Mary." I'm like, "Pop, how did you know it was me?" He said, "What other nut would be calling me at five <laughs> of one in the morning?" So I I called them every day at lunchtime and every night, and I wanted to provide that for my babies. I wanted to be that round the clock mother. And I've tried to do that, and I think that's why I'm so skinny. But um, <laughs> I really uh, gathered up all my courage and asked my then partners. I was made a partner after only two years because ordinarily you have a trial year, and then you perform for three years, and they say I or nay. After two years, I was a partner on that treadmill. And um, I wanted to be at the Halloween show when they got to grade school. I wanted to make the dinosaur with them. I didn't want a nanny to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's and, such a hard thing to, you know, to, to be so passionate about two different things. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, as a mother, we're, you know, there's no more uh, passion or love than there's we no have for our children. Gift. There's no there way. Isn't. Look at all the women that go through such um, hoops with medications and all kinds of experimental drugs to become pregnant. Mm-hmm. We crave that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I did from the time I was a little girl. Yeah. And we talked earlier about um, looking back and looking ahead and, I'm so grateful to St. Joe's and Jefferson that I've always um, remained active and helped with alumni reunions and such. In the past two years, I uh, enjoyed a great honor. I was made the president of Jefferson Medical College alumni. And in that role, I was asked to write a letter from the alumni president. Uh, Every quarter, we have a bulletin. And when I was first interviewed and I was asked about my timeline, training, practice. I remember saying that after we had our second baby, I asked my partners if I could go part-time. And they were fine with that, actually. They understood and uh, very uh, accepting of that. And I think my practice became even more successful because then I did all outpatients. I couldn't take care of sick inpatients and not be there two days a week. Mm -hmm. So we made it work. 
And then I was interviewed as alumni president when I first took on that responsibility two years ago. And they asked my philosophy and I said, um, I think no matter whether you're a woman physician or a small business or um, whatever field your, your work involves, that women who are single are often considered, um, they couldn't find somebody to marry. Mm-hmm. That's not, lots of people enjoy being single. Women who are married and have no children are considered selfish. Women who are married with children and work full time are not very good mothers. And women who are married with children and work part time are not devoted doctors or businesswomen or attorneys or whatever they choose. Mm -hmm. So I think the message that I give to my students and my own children is look in the mirror and tell yourself you're going to be a good person and honest, do the best you can. And I consider myself the best combo person I can be. Yeah. You know, my first hat and joy is to be a mother and I love being a doctor. And I almost, I always tell my patients, especially when I have to tell them something tough, like, I'm sorry, you have to repeat the, the colonoscopy in one year instead of five years. I say, listen, you're going to do this because I'm 49% your doctor and 51% your mother. And you're going to do it because I said so. That's right. And they love that. That's My a, patients love that's that. That's a great line. Moms can always be bossy and tell people <laughs> what to do. Because. Yeah. I'm curious, to, do you find that the, the judgment and those perceptions, do you find that um, more from women? Um, about women or more from men? Or do you think it's just an equal perception? I also share through my experiences uh, that I think sometimes a woman's worst enemy is another woman. Mm. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because there are fewer seats available and people are struggling for the same seat. That's Mm -hmm. metaphorical, of course. But um, I have sometimes had the toughest roadblocks from other women. Mm -hmm. So again, my philosophy, shine your light. Let your work speak for you. Don't call, don't pull the girl card. Don't make that be your trump card. Say, wah, it's got my girl. Try harder. Yeah. And keep smiling. Yeah. Never let them <clears throat> see you sweat. We know that. Yeah. Um, it's hard. Yeah. But that's great advice to really not, you know, dwell on these perceptions and judgments. As long right. as you're doing what you feel is, is right for you, it's that's hard. all you should be worrying about. Yeah. There are times that I have felt very sad, actually, and, and somewhat defeated. And if I feel that way, then I channel my energies in a different setting. When, For instance, when my dad was sick or, or slowly becoming more demented, um, it got to the point where he was going AWOL a lot. I would say to my children, I put granddaddy on the couch, he's watching his favorite news show, and I gave him pretzels and Coke. Don't let him out of the house. I'm going to go in and take a shower. And I'd come out in five minutes and I'd say, he went to buy a kite, Mom. You know, And this would be at the shore or at home. And it got to the point I said, I can't be the only G.I. Josephine in town and have three children and have my father with dementia yeah. and, and do it all well. Yeah. So you've heard the other message. You can have it all, maybe just not all at once. That's right. So I left my practice. Boy, was that a, and what so year black was and white. That? that was 1999. 1999. I left okay. Lankanaw and never cry at work, but I cried that day. And I said, I don't want to leave. I love my job, but I love my dad. I love my kids. Yeah. And it'll all happen the way it's supposed to. I, I, um, I'm very happy I did that for a lot of reasons. It was a very busy time in our household. Um, my husband had a very large orthopedic practice that he started from scratch in 1987. He trained with Dr. Rothman, and 
He's a hip and knee surgeon, started a, a big practice. So we were both really busy, but our, our joint, um, joint commission, our joint <laughs> um, commitment, children first, family yeah. first. Yeah. He came from a wonderful family. How many people love their mothers-in-law? My mother-in-law was my other mother. I reserved that spot for nobody. My mother was my mother. There will be no other mother, but my mother-in-law was unbelievable to me. And so we wanted to provide that nurturing and... Um, the security. Yes, to, yeah. for our children. Yeah. And I think that's why they crave coming home. Two of them live in New York, and they love coming home. They love that nucleus. Yeah. That's great. That's great advice. It's great advice for your students. I mean, you're a professor as well as a doctor, and, I, mm-hmm. and I'm sure on a daily basis you have to find, you know, you're teaching them, but you also have to give them life lessons. You have and to that's be flexible. A, you do. Um, I wanted to know, um, we, I want to make sure we have time to talk about the Women's Forum that um, kind of organically came about through um, some women getting together from uh, the Alumni Association and what some of the um, – what some of the things that the Women's Forum does mm-hmm. as far as resources and, and education and things? Well, as I mentioned, I graduated medical school in 1980, and a classmate, Dr. Barbara Freeman, and I both went into male-dominated specialties. Barb became um, an orthopedic surgeon, and she was the first woman to train in adult orthopedics at Jefferson. And when I went to Sloan Kettering, I was the first. They used to call me the fellowette because I was the first girl to study GI probably in New York City, and uh, probably... That's a big deal. Oh, it was a huge deal, but I was so... I was kind of naive, which served me well, because I floated through St. Joe's at a time it was six boys to one girl. Jefferson, fewer, you know, fewer than one in five were were girls. Mm -hmm. And I loved having boys as my friends. So it didn't faze me that when I went into the GI world, there there were no women at the national meetings. It was kind of funny, but I had ridden that... That carpet already. So it kind of didn't faze me. Um, and as I say, I was always treated beautifully as a medical student. I didn't really have any um, um, interesting events until later in life. Yeah. In practice, things happen. But again, um, and so. So oh, we were talking about the Women's Forum and how that came to be. When we both finished our training, Dr. Freeman and I, we come back to Philadelphia, or I come back to Philadelphia in 1986. We remain friends. And we said, um, we really need to go back to the students, the women's students. You know, it's like um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You get to go back in time. And uh, we bought Danish and coffee, very casual kind of get-together, invited any women's students who wanted to come. We probably had like 35 or 40 mm-hmm. young ladies. And we sat and talked about your life as a medical student, where you're in this cocoon at Jeff, where everybody loves you, and then the real world, where we'd already started practice and some of the barriers that we had to work around. Mm-hmm. And um, it led into this annual forum, um, and it's in its 28th year. And I sort of changed the format to a panel of women doctors, um, single, married, with and without children, full-time, part-time, a whole menu of lifestyles and different fields. And the students will say, Gee, Dr. Ritchie, how did you manage to take off for a few years and then get back into practice? How did you do that? Mm-hmm. Or, gee, Dr. So-and-so, you're a full-time surgeon and you have two children. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. Or, 
how do you sign a contract and stand up for yourself as a woman? So they ask, the students get to ask very practical questions. I used to have it be all Q&A. I've changed it since to, I ask every woman on the panel to say why they chose their field. The second question is, what's the, the best pearl you can offer, the best pearl of wisdom? And what was your, your toughest roadblock? Or what was the hardest you know, thing you had to face? Mm-hmm. And the students love it. And then we hand out to students a sheet of paper with each doctor's name and their email address. So if they want to connect with them and shadow them in uh, geriatrics for a day or radiology or whatever it is. So it's a big success at Jeff, and the, the students love it and crave it. Yeah. Is, does it take place at the same place every year? Or yes. You, uh, we have it on a Wednesday night. Women's History Month is the month of March, so I right. place it there. And um, we have a, a light dinner and panel so we can kill two birds, eat, listen, then go study. Yeah, that's a great support. You know, the kids need that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to take one last quick break, and we will be back with Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie, Clinical Assistant Professor of Medicine mm-hmm. at Jefferson. Be right back. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes, Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the mutual fund store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face to face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. 
From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the Mutual Fund Store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the city of light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. I'm in the studio today with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, and Dr. Ritchie is a clinical assistant professor of medicine at Jefferson and a GI doctor. Um, she holds many titles. She's president of the uh, Alumni Association for Jefferson. And um, I wanted to ask her about a letter that she wrote to Cardinal Bevilacqua uh, that she spoke about it that got her involved in something while she was um, not working and, and at home taking care of dad. Talk about that for a few minutes. Well, um, again, it, it all goes with uh, the theory of evolution and be open. And I, I count a lot on the saints and all those good people in heaven, including my parents now. And... Um, my middle name is Teresa, and St. Teresa always says, you are where you're supposed to be. So I realized mm -hmm. that my dad desperately needed our help. My dear sister Ellen um, had my father move in with her. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. After my mother passed away suddenly, Ellen's house burnt down from a fire, from a Pop-Tart, sorry, um, only five weeks later. So she and her family um, and my dad lived together, and... Our father became gradually more demented. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as his needs increased, I realized that I would um, have to help take wanted to help take care of him, 
So he stayed with me two or three days a week. And at the time, I just said, um, that's when I decided to stay home and, and leave my practice. It was a difficult decision, but it was a black and white scenario. And I very happily made that decision. So being at home during that time gave me the opportunity to continue to evolve. And seek out what your next mission was going to be, because right. certainly you couldn't sit still. <laughs> I could not do that. No. And in 1996, I, we saw this um, ad in the church bulletin about the 150th anniversary of the cathedral. So we went to this celebratory mass, and I had maybe a year or two before that written to Cardinal Bevilacqua. I wanted to do something in honor of my mother. My mother died in 1993, and in 1994, I wrote to the cardinal and said, we have pro-life marches in Washington, D.C. What can we do in Philadelphia to show our gratitude as Catholics? We have the perfect stage, the parkway and the cathedral. Let's do a May procession in Philadelphia, and it will bring Catholics together and renew our commitment in public. And I got a, a letter back that was um, positive, but no real commitment. Mm-hmm. So when I heard of this 150th anniversary of the cathedral, I approached the rector then, Monsignor Howard, said, what do you think? And in good old-fashioned Philadelphia Catholic language, he said, beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. You know, the old, Catholic, yes, the old yes, nuns yes. are preaching, beautiful. Yeah. You do the work, you can use my backyard. So from 1997 to 2006, we had an annual May procession. I sent a letter and a beautiful Mary poster. We had a, um, a gentleman design a poster that was a watercolor of Mary's face that was extraordinary. And we sent that poster to be hung in every school, every church, um, so every parish was notified, grade schools, high schools, private schools, you name it. And the way we chose the May Queen, well, the only day open on the cathedral calendar was Mother's Day, oddly enough. How perfect. Mm-hmm. Meant yes, to be. Meant to be. So I thought, well, maybe the best way to choose a May Queen, the old tradition, eighth grade student, a young girl, we asked people to write in essays, 50 words, quick to read, why my mom should be the May Queen. I love that. And get out your box of tissues. Yeah, they I were bet. either so funny or so heart rend heart not heartbreaking, heart but warming. beautiful, heartwarming, yeah. yes. Yeah. And um so we would get fifteen, twenty thousand essays and I had a, a panel of people that re- I was would read say, them. did you have to read all, all those by <laughs> We'd yourself? block off the city, uh the block around the cathedral. We didn't use the parkway. But we'd get about three thousand people a year saying the rosary and the May Queen would be a woman. For instance, my all-time favorite was, well, my two favorites, one was a little girl wrote in, my mom's meatloaf is so good, it must be Mary's recipe. (laughs) And we'd say, where does this come from? It was so Art Link letter. And then you'd get the stories like, my all-time favorite was a woman who had four children, Mary Finley, and um, her her neighbor wrote about her, a little girl wrote about her, her pretend grandmother. And... When they had their fifth baby, Mary and her husband had their fifth baby, and he was born with Down syndrome. And they didn't want their David to f- grow up feeling different. They went out and adopted another Down's child. Wow. They're now 30 years old. Who would think of that, let alone go out and do that? Yeah, wow. And they're the stories in my mind that should be celebrated. Mm-hmm. They were a queen for a day, yeah. truly queen for a day. So we, So I thought it would stir more interest if we had the May Queen, <laughs> the trickster, 
Remember, I found my husband on not match.com, but big brother, little sister, <laughs> little big sister, little brother. So I said, we can get another 12 stories out there by having a court. So we went to May Queen and her court, because I don't know if this is true, but I would tell people that Mary's crown had 12 jewels. Okay. So anyhow, we got 12 more ladies into it. Right. So at the May procession, we would walk around the block with a five foot statue of Mary carried by the Knights of Columbus. Absolutely beautiful. Walk into the past. Pure joy it was mary as a role model for women our mother the family everything beautiful when did that stop occurring uh 2006 and why well um uh the rector of the cathedral graced us with the uh the yes to do this and while he was rector he absolutely loved it the next rector loved it then the next rector came in 2006 and i guess it was a time of change and um uh, he was happy to do it, but he couldn't share as much responsibility, and I couldn't continue to do it by myself. It was a massive, yeah. massive job. Loved it. I hope it got me some credit out of purgatory. But I made wonderful, wonderful friends, and I think it brought a lot of grace and blessings to Philadelphia. I really do. Yeah, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to go back and see some pictures of that. Um, I want to make sure that we talk about you know what, what you're involved in today, some of the things you're doing today as far as medicine and women and some of the things that women should be paying attention to um, as far as testing and, and the latest and the greatest in that. Well, as I mentioned, I trained in Sloan Kettering. So when I came home, I practiced general gastroenterology. Um, that is when I came home in 1986. But um, my big concern is prevention. Um, with Affordable Care Act now, the big word is prevention, thank goodness. If you're talking dollars and cents, it's a whole lot less expensive to practice preventative medicine than wait till some poor person needs surgery and chemotherapy and radiation and extended care. That's pretty straightforward. We're not there yet. I don't think we've convinced everybody in the country of this. But along those lines, when I was at Lankanaw practicing GI, um, the... The gynecologists love having a woman in GI because if a woman had belly pain and it wasn't related to a GYN issue, they'd say, go see Mary Emergy. So we had this exchange of women patients for years. Um, I left work for a few years, stayed home with my dad. When he passed away, I was offered a spot as a faculty member at Temple University. Wonderful. Everybody who works at Temple, I am convinced, is happy to be there. They love uh, the atmosphere there was terrific. A few years passed, I was offered a spot at Jefferson and to come back to my my home mm -hmm. completed my circle. I come back to Jeff. And by that point, my children were in college and, and all that kind of good stuff. So I was able to get back into practice. And one of the things I learned as soon as I got to Jeff was that they have this Sterling Breast Center. Breast cancer, breast cancer, breast cancer. Now, little side story. My dear mother died of breast cancer pretty quickly after she was diagnosed. My mother-in-law had breast cancer. I mentioned I'm the youngest of four sisters. My oldest sisters were identical twins. Another sidestep. The identical twins, Antoinette and Judith. My, my mother named them after St. Anthony and St. Jude. And um, praying to Jude and Anthony that my dad would come home from the war. I digress. But <laughs> so they are mirror twins. Identical mirror twins. If you've never heard of that, it meant that they were, Judy was naturally left-handed, Tony right-handed. Left part, right part. Left eye tooth would come in, right eye tooth would come in. And my mother chronicled this. She was home alone with them till, for the, till there were six months because my dad was in the South Pacific, not on vacation. 
And um, so it's the end of a bad novel or a sad novel. But two summers ago, and they are, they're meticulous about their care and their screening. Judy had a routine mammogram and eight millimeter lump in her left side. Within days, Tony, eight millimeter right side. Wow. You can't make that up. No, that's remarkable. And so I have this passion for prevention and being screened. So when I saw the breast center at Jeff, when I came on staff there, I said, we can make a women's screening program that's unique. No one in the country has this. When a woman calls Jeff now, 1-800-JEFF-NOW, to schedule routine mammogram, we say, well, if you're 50 or over, it's time for your colonoscopy. You can have that meeting to, to um, hear about colonoscopy, the benefits, the risks, the preparation, at the same time you're here for your mammogram. So I got permission from the administration. Every Thursday night in the Breast Center at Jefferson, 1100 Wallen Street, I am there. Woman has a mammogram, then we talk about colonoscopy. I do a brief exam to make sure their blood pressure is not 1,000 over 500, make sure they don't have any comorbidities like diabetes that I have to watch out for. And one Thursday might, okay, you'll remember this, the third Thursday, you get all three. Th -th -th -th, alliteration. The third Thursday of um, each month, I have a gynecologist there as well. All women docs. Breast cancer is important. The number two cause of cancer death is colon cancer. It's equal in boys and girls. It's, a man, it's not just a men's disease. And women delay colonoscopy for several reasons. Number one, most of the emphasis is on the pink Philly sneakers, the pink Eagles helmets, the pink M&Ms. It's important. My mother died of it. My one sister died of it. Before we blinked, Judy was gone. Awful. I can barely talk about it. So breast cancer is important. But it's not a contest. Breast and colon cancer take a lot of lives unnecessarily. Colonoscopy is fun. I can make it fun for you. <laughs> well, then oh, I'm yes. coming to you the next time I the need The preparation mine. used to be more than a gallon. It was four liters. It's now only two liters. We're doing studies at Jeff to make the prep kinder and easier and still effective. So women delay because all the emphasis on breast, mammogram and done. No other worries. Not. You have to have colonoscopy. If you're 50 and over, you should have it done. I won't go into all the statistical reasons why, but that's what we've learned at Sloan Kettering as part of the national polyp study that set the national guidelines. Secondly, 48% of women delay colonoscopy because they prefer a woman doc and they don't know where we are. Come to Jefferson. And the other delay is because they already take time for mammogram and GYN. So get your colonoscopies. Great. We squeeze that in just under, and I'm so glad because that's easy to remember, 1-800-JEFF-NOW. That's a great new three you know, threesome there. Anyway, that's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Again, I was with uh, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, Clinical Assistant Professor of Medicine at Jefferson, and I thank you so much for coming in here today and so. telling us your story. Wonderful. Thanks for the opportunity, Sue. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.